Well, I first met Brother Jeff White uh, back, I think it was seven, just about seven years ago, I think it was, if I got my math right. And he was not in missions. He was not uh, uh, preaching. He was a deacon at a church that I was preaching at when I was uh, there to do some, some youth work, vacation Bible school, and a teen, a teen outreach. And we got to spend some time talking and uh, fellowshipping, and he laid out his burden for missions at that time. And he has fresh perspectives. As a, as a businessman, businessmen think a little different than a, a guy who just learned missions in college. And so he was bouncing all of his ideas off me. I thought, sounds great. Sounds amazing. It sounds wonderful. I just hope it happens. And, you know, a lot of people have ideas. A lot of people have visions and so forth, but not all of them actually come to fruition. And uh, time went on. And uh, I came here, and then he called me, and we reconnected here, uh, met for lunch, and, and he just brought me up to speed. It's happening. God's doing it. The doors are open. Uh, we're in mission work, and uh, God's continued to open doors for him and his family. And uh, he'll tell you about that, so I'll give him the rest of the time. But I look forward to what God continues to do, to do brother. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, I just wanted to say my wife was supposed to, my wife and two children were supposed to come, but uh, we had some health issues, so uh, they send their regrets, but um, I missed them. <laughs> so, as Pastor said, I figured we would um, go through a little testimony of how I got to the point where I was there, how I got to the point where I was mission, because as he said, I was a deacon. I was, you guys, right? And, um, you know, the last service, I had uh, a little bit more time because we had the late service. But, you know, in the Caribbean, they have this thing where service ends when the preacher's done, right? So it doesn't matter. Now, we had an American missionary, our American pastor, he was there, and he pulls me aside, and he says, Brother, now what time does church get done? And I said, well, whenever you're done. And he says, no, 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 I understand. He says, but seriously, like what time, what time should I be done? I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, if you preach for 20 minutes, we'll close the service. But if you preach for two hours, I said, we'll close the service. Oh, okay. So here's my promise to you guys. Be more than 20, but less than two. <laughs> okay? So I was, I was, you know, so that's the promise. But anyways, as Pastor said, my name's Jeff White. I was born and raised in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I was... Uh, baptized in the Lutheran church. I don't know if anyone here was in the Lutheran church, but I was. I was baptized as a young baby, and I was told that that was when I got saved. And as I grew as a young man and um, got, went through confirmation where I, again, these are their words, not my words, reconfirmed my salvation. And, um, but here's the thing. I knew that something was wrong. I knew that I wasn't a child of God at that point. In fact, I, was, I remember thinking this as a, a teenage boy at about 15 years old. As we're reading prayers, if you've been to Lutheran Church, you know that you open a book and it's pretty much the same service. You read the prayers. And I remember thinking, the God who created this world has me reading a prayer out of a book. And it just struck me as weird. And it struck me as ridiculous, honestly. But I didn't know any better. So I continued going through life and um, got to be 18 years old by this time. I could have cared less about church. I just thought it was too ritualistic. I didn't care for it. I had nothing to do with it, to be honest with you. And so I went off into the world. Well, about 22 years old, so I've been four years, I had met a young lady who you see right up there. <laughs> and uh, there was an incident that God had used in my life that had almost taken my life. And 
So I was really shook because I realized that had I died, I would not have gone to heaven. And I knew it, but I didn't know anything different. And um, my wife at the time, she wasn't my wife, she shared with me the truth of the gospel. And when I heard it, it was like, duh, right? That, that's what I've been waiting for. And I got saved. And I accepted the Lord as my Savior about 22 years old. And we got married and went on with life. And I, um, I didn't go to church right away, but I went into the business world. <laughs> and that was my thing. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start an empire and retire at 55 and live the good life. I mean, I was an American. That's the American dream, is it not? But um, God had different plans as uh, life went on. And so we moved, we ended up down in Florida. And I, as Pastor said, was a deacon. I was the treasurer. I was on the school board. I was in youth. I mean, we were in everything. My wife was involved, just as involved as we were, I was. I mean, we were one of those families that if there was a ministry going on, we pretty much were involved. But the other problem was, is I was still pursuing my business career. My, business, my idea of retiring at 55 and building my empire. Well, it was at a missions conference that a young couple, 22, between 22 and 25 years old, fresh out of school, on deputation, they were staying at our house, and it was February. And they were, um, we were, it was the Super Bowl, I remember this, and we were talking, and it was one of those conversations, we were watching the Super Bowl, but we weren't watching the Super Bowl. We were just having this fascinating conversation. And they were telling me all this stuff about how they were living by faith and all this stuff. And, and I'm just like, this is crazy, right? I mean, I'm, here we are, we're in, a, in our home, it was a big home, in a nice neighborhood, expensive cars in the garage, and they're telling me about living by faith. And I'm blown away by this. Because here I am, I've already surrendered to serve the Lord full-time in missions. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I can't live by faith. I don't even know how to do it. I don't even know what's going on. And so that night, I prayed and asked the Lord if he would teach me faith. Now, those are some of the prayers that if you've ever prayed something, you're gonna, he's going to answer that one. And he answered it big. And so um, the next couple of years after that, were some pretty interesting years in my life. Um, Lord, and, I, and I, we were talking about this the other day, my wife and I, if you think about just the events of that time, you think to yourself, that was horrible. But honestly, that's not how we feel about it when we look back at it. We think to ourselves, well, that was an amazing experience in our life. But it ended with the Lord taking the last thing for me, which was my health. And I was in West Palm Beach, being shocked back to life from a blood clot. <laughs> and... Um, that was the bottom. But you know, it, I, don't, actually, I don't want to sound arrogant because I don't mean this away, but I learned more about living with faith. I'm still learning. But um, that was the turning point in life. Well, we ended up getting an opportunity to go to the Cayman Islands, where that's where we were prior to the pandemic. And we were getting really involved and we were preaching in the women's prison and there was another church that the pastor had died and he was 50 years, 50 year or 50 years in the mission field but he had gone, gone home to be with the Lord. And so we uh, started getting involved. That's where the Lord really started working on me about, about really evangelizing the world, right? So I got this real burden. Like, I didn't want to see this church die because that's a gospel witness. And a town without a gospel witness, that's not a good situation. And so we also had, if, you, if you're familiar with the islands at all, they have, they're very district-centered. So now I drove 4.8 miles to go to church here today, there's a district that was three miles from where the church was, but people wouldn't come because it's in a different district. 
Now we think three miles, I mean, seriously. And when I was told this the first time, I thought to myself, this is crazy. Three miles on an island, you wouldn't drive three miles? Well, they won't because <laughs> they stay in their district. And so there was another place where we were really burdened about planting a church. And in fact, in 2019, it was already starting to lay the groundwork. And there's 11,500 people in this district, no gospel witness. And I mean, I was excited about it. I went to bed on New Year's Eve, just super fired up about March or 2020. And I woke up with COVID. And so um, got a real bad case of COVID, spent about three weeks, you know, just not in the hospital, but sick. And as I started to recover, life was, you know, I'm still optimistic about life and went to a conference in the Bahamas and we were, you know, starting to get, I was starting to travel again a little bit. And then, you know, all this stuff starts breaking out with COVID. And I still have a business interest here in the United States that, you know, everyone was scared and they were calling and they were just getting ready to shut the country down. And I thought, man, I better leave or I may not get out. So I left and left my family there while we, because um, I thought this was going to be a couple of months. I had, read, I had an immigration status that would allow me to come and go from the island. So I just assumed that they would let me come back when I was ready to come back. <laughs> so I went home, left in March, last, last day out, got out of the country, left my wife and children there. And um, about May, I was, things had settled down enough, and you're thinking, well, this has got to be getting near the end. And um, well, so I tried to go back, and the Cayman Island said, no, you can't come back. And so we're thinking, all right, it's been about two months. How long, how long can this go, right? I mean, it's just a virus. <laughs> and um, so we finally make the decision about June, we got to bring them out. And so since there was no flights, we had to charter a plane to go get them. And it was my wife, my two children, my, my other two children you see up there are married, the older girls. And so the younger two and our cat and 400 pounds of our stuff. And we they got them out in June of last year. And so we're in the United States now. And I kept busy, you know, I was working with an evangelist friend of mine, and, you know, I figured, again, how long can this be, right? So, uh, well, they're still not open, so if you want to know how long this can be, it can be that long. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we're, we're keeping busy, but about last, this last summer here, I'm starting to think to myself, you know, I wonder, you know, what, what would the Lord have for me? You know, he obviously wanted me out of the Cayman Islands. He brought us here. He's given me this tremendous burden for seeing churches, seeing the gospel witness go forward. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, <clears throat> I love the Caribbean, and I'm in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Now, those two don't go together very well. So, um, but again, learn to live by faith. So I say to the Lord, you know, I don't know what you have for me, but I know that it's to see churches planted. I know that that's what it is. But I again think, I'm one man. I mean, what could I possibly do? So we just start praying about it. Well, we start going to Wildwood Baptist Church. And uh, if you, you guys know Pastor King. He, um, first time we're there, he comes up to me, he starts talking to me. And my wife, my wife says, do you know him? And, and I said, no, never met him. But that's how Pastor King is, right? He never met somebody, he wasn't his friend. And um, didn't talk to him again for a little while. Well, I bump into him outside church one time, and, I, and we just start talking about missions. And I'm telling him what the Lord's doing in my life. I'm telling him about my burden. I'm telling him about my heart. And I said, Pastor, we got to see more churches planted. And he says, can I send you something? And I said, well, absolutely. 
And that's the video that he sent, which I'm going to let that play, and I will pick up from when the video is done. Since the time of Christ, believers have understood that the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to have the hope of eternal life. Fundamental Baptists have long recognized that the only way the world's burgeoning population can be reached is if our missionaries train national pastors. This is a huge challenge and the missionaries understand that it will take financial support for some of their trained national pastors. In the year 2000, the Omega Ministry was founded as a means to help with these funds. Missionaries around the world take Omega money and help their pastors go out and start churches in their local region. And the missionary holds their men accountable gives them support and counsel and advice, and then writes quarterly reports back to us on how those churches are doing. This launching money for the national pastors is just temporary for a couple years until they get a church up and running, and then the money is moved to another man. Since the year 2000, the Omega money has been able to help more than a thousand churches get started in 60 foreign countries, helping hundreds of missionaries all around the globe. My name is Victor Pais, and I am a Venezuelan national pastor. We are currently producing Living Hope, a TV program locally broadcasted once a week in the largest cities of Venezuela and throughout the country by satellite and cable TV. But we endeavor to take the message of the gospel the most uh, remote corners of our country. I'm Tom Needham. We've been missionaries in Cameroon, Africa for about 30 years now. The Omega Fund has been a huge help to our ministry. It's helped a number of young men prepare for the ministry and, and get out and start planting churches. Uh, several dozen churches have been started as a direct result of helping these young men get started in ministry. We're Johnny and Barbara Daniels. In 1974, the Lord brought us to the West Indies to begin starting local churches. In 1998, God entrusted this local church, Calvary Baptist Tabernacle, with a Bible college, primarily training nationals. I'm Dr. Bob Green with Baptist International Missions. Uh, my wife and I, Patsy, have served for the last 53 years as church planning missionaries. And there are national churches that have benefited greatly from Omega's ministry. So let me say thank you to the Omega ministry and Dr. Randy King, and encourage you to be involved as much as possible. The Omega Ministry is a very essential and efficient and effective way to support national pastors. Wildwood and mission agencies all across America have agreed to pass Omega funds through without any charge. When a donor contributes $100, it goes all the way through to the national pastor and he receives $100 for personal support for his family. We delight in partnering in this way. Thank you for being a part with us. We'd like you to see some of the other nationals and churches that have been helped 
through the Omega Cross. for keeping missions before the people of God. We thank you for your support for the ministry in Zimbabwe. In Barbados, Brazil. You're making a great difference here as well. As you can see us here, you made a great difference in Chihuahua. We want to say thank you for your interest in the Omega ministry and we'd be delighted to give you more information or to come and present the ministry to your church. But we would like to have you contact us here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Wildwood Baptist Church, the Omega ministry. So Pastor King, he had sent me that video. And we met, and he said, you know, we've been praying that the Lord would bring somebody to us. Now, I don't think God allowed the pandemic for me, but it took the pandemic to get me out of the Caribbean. <laughs> and uh, God has used that in a great way in our life. And uh, it would have been hard for us to leave. In fact, we grew up in Oshkosh, and we have been away for a long time. And I took, my wife and I talk about this. If I would have went to her and said, I think God wants us to move back to Oshkosh, she'd have said no. And honestly, I would have probably said, I'm not listening either. But um, it's exciting, right? My, I, I see that video and I, it just makes my heart swell because I love the mission field. And, you know, there's a couple things I want to clarify on the video or, and explain. When he says $1 goes, what he means is, and this is where this is a beta version. This was supposed to be done in May, but you guys have probably heard of COVID. Um, $1 goes all the way through and it gets exchanged. So if it's not dollars, if it's, say, euros, $1 gets converted to euros. And there's no, the mission uh, agencies, nobody takes a penny from a dollar given to a mega fund. None of the admin expenses, no expenses for me or anybody, there's nothing. It's all the money that is given goes directly into the field and it goes directly into supporting church plants. So the philosophy behind Omega, I think, is kind of interesting, is, you know, if you look back at the philosophy of missions, there was a period of time where churches were supporting national pastors. And honestly, it was a good value, if you think about it. They're, they usually required a lot less money than the Americans did. But the problem is, 
is they don't necessarily always, and this is not an indictment of them, but culturally they're different in the sense of if, if I make a donation to a church and I designate it, the churches generally, I mean, I'm sure there's some churches that wouldn't do this, but most churches would honor that, and that money would then all be used for whatever I designated it for. Um, that's not always the case in the islands, in fact, I, or in the world. I've seen this firsthand where money was donated for a school, and I'm not saying that a good part of it didn't go to the school, but all of it didn't go to the school. And, you know, we used to, um, my wife and I used to go to this orphanage in Dominican Republic, and, you know, you ever see that where you can sponsor a child thing? And we were sponsoring a child. Well, we went back to the, to the orphanage, and they never knew who we were. The, uh, the people that, the girl that we were sponsoring, I mean, we physically spoke to her. She didn't know who we were. And so they had a deal where they kept all the stuff. So when Americans would come by, they would put it away and make everybody look really poor. It was in a different room. <laughs> so all you'd see is their beds with no toys or nothing. Well, they had them. They had lockers in a different room. And so what I'm trying to say is, is you know, as Americans, we've got to be careful about donating directly to foreign nationals. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying you should just be careful. Well, that's where Omega comes involved. We donate. We support the, the American missionary pastor who is now getting a church up and going with a, a national. And so the missionary or the, the national has no idea that Mega even exists. In fact, that's part of our deal. They can't know about us because we don't want them to know that there's money coming from America. We want them to think that that money comes from the missionary. So we support the missionary. The missionary then does that. And then the missionary is now accountable to Omega, which makes us accountable to everybody else. And so they have to write reports. They have to send in information. So that's what Omega is all about. It's getting involved in worldwide evangelism, worldwide church planning, and that gets me excited. So with that, we will open Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. <clears throat> you know, I was, there's some Bible verses that are fairly well-known, right? Maybe famous would be the word we would use. People, verses that we know, right? We know Isaiah 6, 8. It's a great missionary verse. Uh, it's used often. You know, there's the verses that when we go into people's homes, they'll have them on the wall, right? They'll have them on the plaques or the thing. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing because... Joshua 24, 15, if you go to my house, you're going to see it. So it's not a bad thing. But what's important that we understand is that we understand the context, and we don't look at Joshua 24, 15, from the eyes of an American in 2021. Right? Because when I was a young child, my mom would take me to my pediatrician, and my pediatrician would smoke during my doctor's appointments. Now, this is back in the late 60s, early 70s. So... You know, if I took my child to a pediatrician, what my, do you think my reaction would be? I would be right. I'd be horrified if a doctor lit up a cigarette while examining my baby. And I would not ever go back to that doctor. And honestly, I don't think they would do it today. So it's important that when we look at these things, especially like this case, I don't say, Mom, what were you thinking? Taking me to a doctor that smoked. But back in that time, I mean, I guess I wasn't really that conscious. It was certainly more common to be involved in cigarettes. So I want us to understand when we look at Joshua 24, 15, that we understand that 
for what Joshua was saying, not for what we look at it in America 2021. So let's pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time to be here with these dear folks. Lord, I pray that you'll just open our hearts, Father, that you will speak to us through your word. And Lord, that you'll guide us, Father, into all truth. Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So let's read verse 14, Joshua 24, verse 14. We'll start there. And he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Verse 15, he says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, there's three things I want us to understand when we look at this. The first thing I want us to understand is the call to serve. The call to serve. We go back to verse 14. The first two words, he says, now therefore. Now you guys are smart, right? When there's a therefore there, what's the response? We need to know what the therefore is therefore. So let's go back to verse 1, Joshua 24, verse 1. And it's important for us to understand this is Joshua's last charge to Israel before he dies. Right? Israel has taken the promised land. He has sent back the tribes of, of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They're back on the other side of the Jordan. Right? He's, he's divided up the land. They all have their, their, their inheritance in the promised land. And this is Joshua's last charge. So let's look at verse 1. He says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So here we see who's all involved, right? We have, he gathered all the tribes. He uh, got the elders. He's got the heads, their judges, and the officers of Israel. And they're all here for Joshua's last charge. So let's go on to verse 2. He says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. And it's important for us to understand that this is Joshua. He's speaking for the Lord at this point. This is not his words. He says, Thus saith the Lord. So Joshua is speaking on behalf of the Lord. And I want you to notice as we go through this, every time you see and I or I. Now those and I or I is God. But I want you to pay attention to how many of them are there. Right? Because if you've read the Old Testament, you have read this before. You have seen all that, all that Joshua was going to say. He's going to rehearse everything that's happened to the land of Israel, to the land of Israel, the Israelites. And you know what? They have seen it before too. But it's important for us to understand something about that. So let's go to verse 2 and pay attention to all the and eyes. So he says, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood, in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and to Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I, verse 5, sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I, verse 6, brought your fathers out of Egypt, and ye came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots, 
and horsemen unto the Red Sea. Verse 7, And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. Verse 8, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that ye might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I, verse 10, not, not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. Verse 11, And you went over Jordan, and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, And I sent the hornet before you, before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. Verse 13, And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not. And you dwell in them of the vineyards and the olive yards, which ye planted not, do you eat. Now, folks, if you're here today and you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, not like I was, where I was dependent upon my baptism, but you are 100% by faith, you have accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross, right, that he died, buried, rose again, that his payment was enough for your sins and for my sins, and by faith you've accepted that, then you have and eyes with God. <clears throat> now, this is kind of an amazing thought if you think about it, right? And see, God is reminding Israel of all of the things that he did for them, right? And shouldn't we think about the things that God does for us? Now, I've been saved almost 30 years. It's coming up this year. And my and I list is long, <laughs> right? And it, honestly, it's pretty amazing to think about it. If, you would, if I had time to go through the whole testimony, it's quite an amazing testimony, and you know, God, he's infinite, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. He created everything with the spoken word, right? All things exist for him and all things are sustained by him. And that is who you and I have a relationship with. Those are our and eyes. Now, that's pretty amazing. Let's go to verse 14. Now, Joshua is no longer speaking from God, but he is speaking to Israel. And he calls them to serve. Let's look at verse 14. He says, now, therefore... Fear the Lord and serve him. <laughs> now, fear is an interesting thing. I shared this with the early service, and I, again, I don't know why I keep doing this, but I share this with people. But um, prior to going to the Cayman Islands, and I used the word used to. Now, catch that word. That's an important word. Used to be afraid of chickens. Now, I don't know what it was, but anything with birds, beaks, beady eyes, I just really not into. <laughs> I grew up in the city. I never was around them. And so they're just dangerous. But if you've ever been to the Caribbean, then you know what is there everywhere. Well, it's chickens, right? So God sends me to where there's chickens. Now, if you go to the grocery store, what is there? Chickens. If you go to the airport, what would be there? Chickens. If you go to a restaurant and you eat outside, not only are there chickens around the tables, but this one restaurant we went to, it was an authentic Cayman restaurant, the chickens came out of the kitchen. 
Now, that's not on the plate. They walked out of the kitchen. So that's kind of an interesting thing, right? So, <clears throat> again, if you go to church, you have to deal with chicken. And I did a lot of door-to-door. I did a lot of soul winning. That was part of what I was doing is I was sharing the gospel. And you know what? Everywhere you went, there were chickens. And so that would cause behavioral change in me, initially, <clears throat> right? I mean, I would think this person didn't need to be saved. They got chickens. But the problem is... There's just, you have to get past that. Well, that's not the fear that Joshua was talking about. What Joshua was talking about, fear here means reverence, right? It connotates the psychological reaction of like fear. So let me give you an example. It's an amazing privilege to be here, and I see that you put the flags up, but I would guess that as far as the preparatory work goes for somebody like me to come, there's not much change, and there shouldn't be, and I don't mean that in a negative way. But if I was the president of the United States and I called up, and maybe it's the president that you like, and said, I want to come have church with you, well, I would bet that would cause quite a buzz here. <clears throat> that would cause quite a reaction from, from all of you. And I would imagine there would be extra preparatory work done if we had a presidential visit versus me, right? And I'm not saying things don't look great, but if I'm not, I'm not the president, right? So... When we think about all of our and eyes, right, and we think about who they're with, they should cause a response in us, right? We reverence God. It should cause something, it should cause us to change. It could cause us to move, okay? So the second thing I want us to understand is the choice to serve. So the first thing we have is the call to serve. The second thing I want us to understand is the choice to serve. So let's look at verse 15. He says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, this is one, we will serve the Lord. Now, Joshua is not saying it's okay for the Israelites to serve these other gods. I don't want you to think that that's the case. But you know, when we think about the call of God, do we not have a choice in that? Right? John chapter 12 says, Jesus will draw all men unto him. When I heard the gospel, when I heard the truth, did I not have a choice whether I could accept or reject? Do I not have a choice when God gave us a call to serve in the mission field? Could I have not done a Jonah and run? Right? There's no missionary that serves on the mission field today that is serving there against their will. <clears throat> There's no pastor who's preaching against his will. Oh, I should, you're not, right? <laughs> no, of course not. But you know, a Sunday school teacher, anybody, we all have that choice on whether we'll answer God. Now, we can certainly debate whether it's a good idea to say no, but the reality of the situation is we have a choice in the matter. Now, I'm sure if I did a poll here, we did a flash poll, and I said, okay, who here is going to choose to serve the Lord? I would guess everybody would raise their hand. I hope they would. But you know, it's really important for us to understand that we don't get to define what service is. <clears throat> we don't get to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to tell you what service is. And as Americans, you know, we like to think of service as, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher, or I'm a deacon, or I do whatever. But that's not, that's us defining what service is. So let's look at verse 14, because he gives us three attributes of service that I think are very important for us to understand. 
He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity. Not insincerely, but in sincerity. Right? And sincerity means entire, whole, complete. Right? So again, we like to think of it as acts of service. But what Joshua is actually talking about here, when he talks about serving God, he's talking about our heart. This is a heart issue. And a great illustration of this, and again, this is an illustration because the Pharisees were not believers. He said in Matthew 23, 25, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. And he goes on, this is Jesus speaking, verse 28, he says, Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy. So here's the question. Can I come up here, preach to you guys, walk right out that door, and live a worldly life? Is that possible? Well, the answer is, is absolutely it'd be possible, right? And there have been times in my past, as I've shared with you, that I know how to look a certain way, right? I was a deacon in a church, but yet I still had the world in me. I still had carnality in me. Well, that's the idea of sincerity. It's the whole heart. It's the entire heart. So let's keep going because I know I'm running out of time. The second thing is truth. You see in verse 14, he says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Now truth means faithfulness and reliableness. So I love the verse in, in Come Thou Fount where he says, Come Thou Fount, he says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter, right, chain, bind my wandering heart to thee, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now, folks, can our hearts wander? Can our hearts wander away from God? Now, I know I wish this wasn't the case, but mine does. Right? It does. And when he's talking about in truth, he's talking about a faithful and reliable heart. Right? And God makes it extremely clear of what he thinks about a heart that's wandered, a heart that's divided. Let's turn over to 1 Kings. Keep your finger here. 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 1. We're going to read about Solomon. Now Solomon was the wisest man ever to live. Right? I think <coughs> we wouldn't disagree with that. And here's what is written in 1 Kings. Verse 1. He says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and the Hittites. Now of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into, in, into them, neither shall you come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these women. Now remember, what did God tell the Israelites when they were going to like, hey, he said, don't, right, take these women or give, get married to these women. Because what will they do? They will turn your heart. So here's Solomon. And he says he loved many strange women. So let's keep going. Verse uh, 3. And he said he had 700 wives. Now, listen, I've got one wife. <laughs> Can you imagine, I'm sure, that when he chose 700, that this wasn't over a long courtship type, right? This was certainly something he just, he looked upon them, they were beautiful, and he made them his wife. 
It says, and wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord, for God, Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after, and he lists the other gods, Eshtorah, the goddess of the Zeroians, and after Milcom and the abomination of the Ammonites. In verse 6, this is key, he said, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as David his father. So the Lord says he, went, he did evil in his sight because he had a divided heart. That's, that's what God thinks about this. Now we could read, there's many more passages that we could keep going. But I want us to understand, when he talks about a, a faithful, reliable heart, we know how God feels. And our hearts are prone to wander. We have to admit that. Then the third thing he says, the third attribute is, put away strange gods. Now this is pretty obvious, right? Put away, remove and strange gods. In this case, since we're dealing with a heart issue, he's talking about things that will turn, take our heart away from God, things that will turn our heart away from the Lord, so we don't fully go after God. And we know that they can be other things. They can be lots of things. They can be our work. It could be our spouse. It could be our children or my grandchildren. And um, sports, recreation, money, you name it. It could be anything. It's different for all of us. But as I said, we have a choice. We have a choice. Now, the, uh, this choice is usually, right, if you make a choice, you think, okay, I'm going to take this option and this option, I'm going to weigh them. Whatever one seems right, maybe it's the best situation, that's how I'll make my choice. But can I make a choice by not making a choice? Is that possible? Well, absolutely it is, as, as I said this morning. You know, I'll probably have lunch with Pastor uh, Barber and his family, at uh, a restaurant. Now, I don't love Canadian food, which is kind of weird because I was in the Cayman Islands, but their food's just really not that good. And so I feel pretty safe. I'm not going to offend anybody when I say this. But if he said to me, brother, where'd you want to go for lunch? And I said, I don't really care. And Pastor Barber says, oh man, we've got this brand new Canadian restaurant and we're going to go there because I know he must love that, right? And I'd be thinking, oh man, that's like the one food I don't want to eat. But did I make that choice by not making that choice? But he gave me the opportunity, and I said, I'm okay, I'm indifferent. You know, how about the presidential election? That's a good example. Now, I don't matter who you're from, I don't care who you voted for, but we just had one about a year ago. And, you know, maybe you didn't like the, the former president, maybe his tweets were too mean for you, but on the other side, you know, you didn't necessarily love the other guy, right? Maybe he's not the guy for you either. So you think to yourself, we've all heard people say this, <coughs> politicians are all the same. They're all corrupt, they're all, you know, however you want to phrase it. So you don't vote. Now maybe you don't love the guy that you got, maybe you would have preferred the other guy, but did you not make a choice by not making a choice, right? By not voting, you ended up casting your vote for the winner. So it's important that we understand that we have a choice in this matter and that we actually have to make it. And by not making it, we're making it. So the third thing I want us to understand, so we have the call to serve, we have our choice to make in serving, and the third thing is the commitment to serve. So let's look at verse 22 in Joshua 24. Joshua 24 in verse 22. And he says, And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen 
you the Lord. So they've chosen to serve the Lord, to serve him, and they said, we are witnesses. And Joshua says unto them now, now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord God, we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So, verse 23, he says, put away strange gods. Now, is there not a commitment involved in putting away strange gods, right? First of all, we may not even know what they are, right? I mean, I, I can honestly testify from my past that when the Lord started showing me things, when he started opening up my heart because I asked him to, and he started showing me things, I was like shocked. Like, I was shocked at what was in there. And I was shocked at what was really something that would turn my heart away. But, you know, it may be a life change for us. It may be a commitment. It may not be just as simple as, well, I'll just get rid of that movie. Right? Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's something. But it's going to take a commitment to put away strange gods. Right? So the first thing we have to do is remove those strange gods. But the secondly, he says, incline your heart. Incline your heart. Now, remember, we're not talking about acts of service here. And Joshua kind of brings this all together, and he brings it home. He says, incline your heart, which means to bend it towards, right? To lean towards. So, it's not enough to remove the strange gods, right? We have to turn towards God. So let me try to get it explained. So you guys over here are going to represent God, okay? And unfortunately, you guys over here are going to represent the world. So here's how most of God's people stand. They stand here, and they look towards God. But they do this, right? They're kind of like, you know, there's a few things back there I really like. There's kind of a few things that, you know what, they're not so so they're looking like this, and here they stand. <laughs> now, if you were going to knock me over, how hard would it be to knock me over? It wouldn't be that hard. And I'm a big guy, right? But it wouldn't be that hard. But what's he got, what Joshua's telling us is he says you put them away, right? You turn, and you lean in towards God. We lean in. Now, I, the world will never, ever push you towards God. Never going to happen. So you never have to worry that you're going to fall forward, Right? But when you're in like this and you're, wait, like you're leaned in, it's a lot harder to pull me back, isn't it? And that's what Joshua was saying, right? That's the commitment that we have when he says, incline your heart. You know, if you're here thinking to yourself, brother, it's not possible for me to have a divided heart. I mean, after all, I've been saved for a long time. I've been saved for 30 years. And I'm a deacon, Right? But, you know, we live in a country that is as hedonistic as I think ever would be. And it's getting worse, right? Everywhere we look, we see this is about pleasure. We need to do this. I mean, I, I had the opportunity this last winter not to be in Wisconsin, thankfully, but I was in Miami and uh, working with a church. And I got tons of time to spend in the community of Miami Beach. And I'm going to tell you something. You want to see all about pleasure you want to see the most miserable people on the face of the earth, go to Miami Beach, right? That is, but we live in a culture that is designed to say to us, hey, do this. It's pleasurable. Do this. But you know, before we get super judgmental on Israel and think, yeah, but you know, those guys, right? How long did it take them after they got on the other side of the Red Sea? How long did it take them before they want to go back? Like, not very long, did it? They were like pretty much ready, ah, we're out here, <coughs> right? But so before we get super judgmental, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want us to read a little bit. I'll shorten it up. 
about what they were. Um, so we can understand. Don't keep your finger there. I don't know if I'll come back. But First Corinthians chapter ten, very familiar passage of scripture. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, the carnal church, and he says, and I'll shorten this. He says, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Right? He doesn't want them to not know something. He, he's trying to say, I don't want you to be unlearned about something I'm, I'm about to tell you. He says, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. Now, he's going to rehearse pretty well what we just read in, in Joshua. And he goes on, and he goes on to verse 6. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be ye idolaters. So we have these things recorded for us to the intent, right? They're examples for us so we don't, we can learn from what happened with Israel. And he goes on, he goes to a long list, and he gets to uh, verse 11. He says, now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our, you and I, our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him, let he that thinketh, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Now, Lot, Lot, a righteous man. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Peter writing about Lot says, for the righteous man, Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, <coughs> vexed, it oppressed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That's us in America. We're seeing and we're hearing all this stuff. So if God recorded all of this, for our example, and I could have continued, is it not possible that maybe you and I have other gods in our life? I mean, is it possible that, that that's the case? Right? Is it not possible that maybe... We're not serving God in sincerity or in truth. Or maybe we've never made the commitment to incline our hearts, right? Maybe we're people, maybe we're these people, right? Looking back. I mean, it's possible, right? You know, maybe we're just not making the choice. Maybe we're making the choice by not making the choice. You know, in Jeremiah, in verse 7, he says, Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery? and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by, name, by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Folks, that's incredible, right? That's incredible to think about, being delivered, having the blood of Jesus Christ pay my sins, and go after other gods. That's incredible. But you know, it's a sad truth that we all have that probably a part of our life. I know it's been a sad truth about my life. But you know, that's the bad news. But you know what really gets me fired up? Is when God's people put away strange gods, when God's people incline their heart towards God, when God's people have their heart fixed on God, it's exciting what God can do, right? People are still getting saved. People are still in this country and worldwide are still getting saved. And there are places in this world that there is no gospel witness. There are churches in this country that are dying. And there are, the gospel witness is leaving. And God's people 
when we get, get behind God, when we get our hearts right, great things can happen. And I get excited. People say, well, brother, you're so optimistic. You're so pie in the sky. You know what? When it comes to God, then I am, right? I get excited about what can happen with this missions conference. I get excited about when God's people get behind missions, right? I get excited when God's people get behind the Great Commission here. (laughs) When they say, you know what? God has called me to go out there. And you know what? We all have that choice, don't we? We all have a choice to say, you know what? God is calling me to share the gospel right here. He may not be calling you to serve on the mission field, but he is right here. And you know, it's amazing when I go to churches and I work with churches, there'll be maybe 10% of the people will want to get involved in evangelism. Maybe. But you know what? The Great Commission is to all of us. And it's exciting when God's people put away those strange gods and when God's people turn their hearts to God, great things happen. So I appreciate that. I'll let Pastor Barber come up and close. Take a moment to respond to this message. Thank you, Brother White. Whether you're a businessman or a student or a child or in full-time ministry, we need to answer the call, make the right choice, and make that commitment. And it may look a little bit different for each of us, but that's okay. Now let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano plays. Would you respond to him? Think of his faithfulness, all those and I promises that have been there in your life, and we all have them. Think of his faithfulness. Think of his goodness. And think of that command. Let's make that choice. Follow his call and commit to the Lord. What would God have you do? Would you respond to him in this time? opportunity to say hello to the missionary on your way out this morning, Uh, but let's let God continue to work in our hearts. I'll ask Brother Jeff if you want to slip out to the back so you can greet folks and uh, say hi to him and uh, be praying for him and his family and his wife, uh, her health specifically, as she wanted to be here with the kids and couldn't make it this time around. Uh, But I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged by his testimony and how God's opened doors and, you know, uh, he mentioned pie in the sky. If God's in it, and we'll be faithful and we'll follow him. Pie in the sky can become a vision that is realized. And uh, we need to trust the Lord to see what he can do. Pastor CJ, why don't you come and close us? And if you're able to be back tonight at 6, we'd love to have you back. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our hearts would be inclined toward you, that we would be quick to recognize and put away the God's uh, that so, temp- so easily tempt us in our uh, world and culture today. Lord, thank you, Brother White. I bless him, bless his wife, give her health. Pray that his work would be fruitful for your honor and glory. Help us to be involved in our 
mission field. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed.